Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. When we closed last week's broadcast, we were looking at four bad omens that appear in conflict. Dr. John Gottman from the Gottman Institute in Seattle calls these four bad omens the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And he says that together they make up one of the six predictors of divorce. We looked at the first one, criticism. And the antidote to criticism is to complain without blame. Contempt is the second horseman. Contempt will poison a relationship whether a couple has been together four months or forty years. Contempt arises from a sense of superiority over one's partner. It's actually a form of disrespect. It's putting yourself on a higher plane and looking down on the other person. It's an attitude of where the contemptuous person thinks of himself or herself as better than or superior to the other person in some way. They may think they're smarter, neater, cleaner, more punctual, more considerate, more thoughtful, and more helpful. It's a position of, I'm okay, you're not okay. Dr. Gottman calls contempt the sulfuric acid of relationships. It eats right through the relationship. It's the most detrimental of the four horsemen. And it's also the highest predictor of divorce. Contempt includes any form of putting your partner down. It might include name-calling, swearing, belittling, demeaning, mocking, and even eye-rolling. It can take the form of sarcasm with a superficial edge of humor, but with a cutting edge to it. When contempt is displayed, it's virtually impossible to engage in a constructive dialogue, and it usually results in even more conflict. Contempt doesn't develop overnight in a relationship. When one feels unappreciated and unvalued, frustration builds up over time and verbalizations become contemptuous. It doesn't start out that way. It creeps into the relationship as needs go unmet. The antidote to contempt is to change the culture of the relationship to one of appreciation, thankfulness, and gratitude. When partners feel appreciated, accepted, and valued, they respond in more positive ways devoid of contempt. Horseman number three is defensiveness. Defensiveness is a way to protect oneself and ward off a perceived attack. If you are being bombarded with insults, the natural inclination is to defend yourself. And a defensive response either states or implies, well, the problem isn't me. It's really you. Dr. Gottman says there are two ways to be defensive. The most common is to counterattack. Often this includes a response such as, Oh yeah? Well, what about you? For example, if one partner asks the other to straighten up their stuff in the living room, a defensive response would be, Well, what about your mess in the bedroom? Then what typically happens is that defensive response is met with another defensive reply, such as, Oh, you want to see a real mess? 
What about all the stuff you piled up in the closet that you said you'd clean up years ago? They keep escalating the interaction by their defensive counterattacks to the degree that sometimes the original issue gets lost in the fray. In this example, even if it is true that there is a bigger mess in the bedroom, the issue is about the clutter in the living room. The people who are masters of marriage take responsibility for at least some part of the problem. In this example, one might say, It's getting a little disorderly. I'll straighten it up. Then they bring up the bedroom mess at another time if it's a concern to them. A second way of being defensive is to whine or play the role of the innocent victim. They may include statements like, You're always picking on me. Nothing I do is ever good enough for you. Or, I can't do anything right. This also is avoiding taking responsibility. Now, if you're really good, you can find a way to be whiny and counterattack at the same time, and you think, boom, we got him. But you continue the cycle of conflict. One may be factually correct. There may be a bigger mess in the bedroom, but relationally disastrous. Either form of defensiveness escalates conflict and moves the couple farther away from resolution. The antidote for this horseman is taking responsibility for at least some part of the issue. Horseman number four is stonewalling. Eventually, one partner just tunes out. He or she acts like they couldn't care less about what you're saying. They are physically there, but they seem disinterested and tuned out. They're there, but they're not really there. It's like talking to a stone wall. Most stonewallers, actually about 85% of them, are men. Feeling overwhelmed by emotions, they start withdrawing by presenting a stone wall response. They try to keep their faces immobile, avoid eye contact, hold their necks rigid, and avoid nodding their heads or making the small sounds that would indicate they are listening. Stonewallers often claim they are trying not to make things worse, but they do not seem to realize that stonewalling itself is a very powerful act. It conveys disapproval, icy difference, and smugness. There's another area of mutual understanding that we need to be aware of concerning stonewalling. In my opinion, a big factor contributing to the 85% number being men is understanding how men handle stress. In general, men handle stress by withdrawing, emotionally and sometimes actually physically. And depending on their personality profile, they may be what I call a super withdrawer. This is the total opposite of how women generally handle stress. Women handle stress by talking about it. When men are in a stressful situation, talking is the last thing they want to do. They want to withdraw. Now here's a word of advice, men. When you're stressed and feeling the need to withdraw, say something like this to your spouse. I've got too much emotional investment in this situation to talk about it right now. But you need to know that we're okay. 
You need to reassure your wife that the relationship is okay, even though there's a contentious issue you're dealing with. Stonewalling need not mark the end of a marriage, but once routine interactions have deteriorated to this extent, the marriage will be very fragile and will require a good deal of hard work to save. Keep in mind that anyone can stonewall or become defensive, contemptuous, or critical. Even with very happy couples, these behaviors happen occasionally during an intense marital conflict. The real danger here is letting these ways of interacting become a habit. Conflict is a social taboo, even considered morally wrong by some. The assumption that conflict doesn't belong in healthy relationships is based partly on the idea that love is the polar opposite of hate. But emotional intimacy involves feelings of both love and hate, of wanting to be close and needing to be separate, of agreeing and disagreeing. The absence of fights does not bode well for most marriages. The parrots say that partners who refuse to accept conflict as a part of marriage miss opportunities to creatively challenge and be challenged by each other. They also risk more negative consequences. Unresolved, unhandled conflict acts as a cancer that erodes the passion, intimacy, and commitment of marriage. Couples who do not make an issue of things often resort to anger substitutes rather than dealing directly with their emotions. They will overeat, get depressed, gossip, or even suffer physical illness. While these substitutes may be more socially acceptable than the direct expression of anger, they can result in what experts call a devitalized marriage where false intimacy is the most couples can hope for. A typical evening in the home of a non-fighting couple who has been suppressing anger for years might look something like this. He says as he's yawning, How was your day, dear? She replies pleasantly, Okay, how was yours? He responds, Oh, you know, the usual. And she says, Anything special you want to do later? And he says, oh, I don't know. Nothing more meaningful is exchanged for the rest of the evening because the emotional and physical energy these two use to repress their anger drains their relationship of vitality. They evade conflict altogether by gunny-sacking, keeping their grievances secret while tossing them into an imaginary gunny-sack that grows heavier and heavier over time. And when marital complaints are toted and nursed along quietly in a gunny sack for any length of time, they make a dreadful mess when they burst. According to the parents, the point is that marital conflict is a necessary challenge to be met rather than to be avoided. I'll say it again. Conflict is natural in intimate relationships. And once this is understood... Conflict no longer represents a crisis, but an opportunity for growth. David and Vera Mace are prominent marriage counselors. According to them, on the day of marriage, people have three kinds of raw material to work with. First are the things they have in common, the things they both like. 
Second are the things which they have that are different, but the differences are complementary. And third, there are the differences that are not at all complementary and cause most of their conflict. Every married couple has differences that are not complementary, lots of them. As you and your partner move closer together, those differences become more prominent. You see, conflict can be the result of growing closer together. Well, our time is gone for today. And as always, I want to encourage you to attend one of the many Bible teaching and believing churches here in the Treasure Valley. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.com. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening, and be blessed.